We're in our second week in our series in the book of Psalms called Playlist the Road Home. And the Psalms, they will do something to you. Because what you find in the Psalms is the full range of human emotions, raw and real emotions being expressed. So all the things that you feel, all the things that you know true in your mind, or that you aren't so sure of, all of your doubts, all of your pain, all of your suffering, how to deal with it is all found right here in the Psalms. Everything that you need for in this life is found in the Psalms. And what you're going to find in the Psalms as we read through it is there are people, leaders, religious leaders of the day who are expressing these deep feelings about God and about their life. And some of the things that they're expressing aren't good, but God still wants them to express those things because it's there when you bring the things that you're fighting with, that you're wrestling with, that you're suffering through to God. He transforms you, he heals you, he changes you, and he lets you discover a joy that you've been searching after. And the collection of psalms that we are going to be walking through are Psalms 120 to 134. They're known as the Psalms of Ascent. And what we have here is a pilgrimage, a pilgrimage towards joy and life in this world that leads to joy. And what you're going to find as we walk through this is that this is what it feels like to be on the road home, on the road towards joy. And everything you feel along the way are being expressed here in the Psalms. And today, we reach the second Psalm in our series, Psalm 121. And here, together, we're going to find the courage to ask God for help to face the thing that is our greatest fear. And if we will face it with him, we will have the strength to pass through it to find the joy that we are made for. So here we go. Psalm 121. A song of ascents. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who has made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. All right. First point, the road, your road. Every single one of these psalms that we're walking through will have the title, A Song of Ascents. Ascents is the technical term for a pilgrimage, which means it's a long journey up the mountain towards joy. And as you hit the thing that is your greatest joy, you have nothing left to do but to respond in praise. Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to be filled with joy. And this series puts us on the road towards the joy that we are made for. Praise. What is praise? Every time I try to define praise, I feel like it's slipping through my fingers. 
Because it's not something that you can teach someone how to do. It's something that they do naturally. The same way that a child is born into this world and naturally takes its first breath. The same way you are born into this world to praise. You're wired for it. You are made for it. All of the time, 24-7, you are praising something. We always praise something. Praise is the completion of joy. It's the uncontrollable response to joy. So here's what the Israelites are doing. They're on this journey. And what they're doing is they're taking this trip to the, to the celestial city of God, the city of Jerusalem, the city of peace, the city of love, the city that is everything that they long for. They're in that city. Once a year, they take this journey. And then they would get there. They'd go up this mountain called Mount Zion, and there they would discover their great joy together and then respond in praise. And what they did along the way is they would take this collection of psalms and they would sing them together as people. You see, you imagine this group of people wandering this road, singing songs together. So what does that mean for us today? Well, the same way that these Israelites took this pilgrimage once a year up to Jerusalem to worship God and sing these songs along the way that are expressing what life is like on the road, the difficulties, the pain, the suffering. The same way these psalms are meant for you to sing as you journey through this life towards the joy that you are made for. That's the future meaning for you today, but there's a present meaning because the, these people took this trip once a year which means for all of you, there is a spiritual pilgrimage that you must be taking constantly, where you're opening up the door to an adventure, and you walk out on this road, and you take this road all the way up to the Mount Zion where God is, and there you discover your joy in Him, and you respond in praise. And each time you take this journey, you will find that it's a journey of transformation, that you come back something completely different. And we saw last week in the first psalm is that in order for you to want to take this road, this pilgrim road, because it's a hard road to take, you have to become discontent with this world. You have to realize it's not your home. You have to realize that you're made for something more, for something greater. And once you finally realize it, you get so frustrated, you say, I'm done. God, I'm ready to come home. And you know what he says to you? No. I'm not taking you home yet. But there is a spiritual pilgrimage that you can take. You will physically stay here, but there's a spiritual pilgrimage. And so we set out on that spiritual pilgrimage today. We open up the door to the adventure. And then our second point, our fears in God, as soon as we open up the door, here's what we find. The road is dangerous, and our fears are before us. And if we don't press on, we will never discover the joy we are made for, and we will turn back. So as soon as you leave the earthly city towards the heavenly city, you look up and you see real dangers. Some of you have been turning back too much. You don't want to face your fears. They're overwhelming. And so you keep finding yourself going back home instead of going out and taking the road. Our verse says, I lift my eyes to the hills or the mountain ranges. And then the rest of this psalm is about how God is a protector, a guardian, a keeper. 
What, what is very clear is that there are dangers along the road. Now, it could mean a few things. So we lift our eyes up to the hills. Where does our help come from? So the danger could be coming from the hills. And our, we're calling to help from God. Or the danger could be ahead and what's coming for help is coming from the hills. Or a bit of both. It doesn't matter. Here's the point. This is poetic imagery, and most likely what it means is that the hills represent where the thieves and robbers hide, and they're coming to take the thing that you treasure most, and you're terrified of it. And so you see the hills up in the distance, and you've heard the stories. This is where those people hide. This is where they're coming. They're going to take everything you want, everything you dreamed of, everything you long for. They're hiding, and you look on in fear. But if you turn back, you never reach your great joy. In one of the versions of King Arthur and the Knights at the Round Table, there's this idea that they form that if they're going to get to their great treasure, each and every single one of them have to go out on this journey and face their greatest fear. Because perhaps what's on the other side of their greatest fear is their great treasure, their great boon. Now that kind of gets it right. Their thinking is, just find your greatest fear and face it. But for us, for the Christian, they're saying, I know my joy. I know the celestial city that I'm chasing. I know I'm chasing God as my ultimate joy. And as I run after him, there are fears that stand in my way. And I must press on through them. This is different than just simply facing your fear for fun. There are people who who are adventure seekers. They get a high for chasing after some danger, for some thing that they're fearing. They will jump out of planes without parachutes, waiting for people to jump out of that plane to follow them, strap themselves in, and save them. There are people in this room who have done this. If you want to know who it is, come and talk to me afterwards. I'll tell them, tell you. Here's the point. Chasing after your great joy, you must pass through your greatest fear. And you're going to want to turn back. Now, why is that? Here's the question. Why is God forcing us to face our greatest fears in order to get to our great joy? Well, it's kind of a test. But the test is there on purpose to reveal to you what you are so you actually know what you're taking joy in. So it's a test of, one, a test of trust. Two, a test of loves. The point of the test is to reveal what you are. There are times when people look like all-star Christians in the church. And then when they face their greatest fear or trial, they turn back, and it's revealed that they're an imposter. And there are times that people who look in the church to barely be Christians, but when they face their fear and trial, it's revealed what they are, and they come out like gold. So first, our trust is tested. In the moment that you are facing fears, here's here's what is revealed. What are you trusting in as you face your fear? What do you trust most? Are you trusting God most or something else? And I'm going to tell you this, your first attempt at facing your fear, you're not going to be running to God like you ought to. And it's revealing something to you. You and God aren't as close as you thought. You're not as tight with God as you thought. You don't trust him as much as you thought. You like the idea of Christianity, but you never really faced your fears fully, and so you haven't had to trust him. And so you stand there waiting on this road, staring at what scares you most, hoping it's going to go away, but it will not go away. In fact, the thing that scares you most will start following you. 
because it's forcing you on this road to make a decision. Who will you trust in? And the reason you have not yet faced your fear is because you don't really trust God. Now, some of you are still trying to figure out what your greatest fear is. I want to help you. Your greatest fear is usually tied to what you love most. So let me get really practical, maybe too practical. So the mother who loves her children, her greatest fear is losing them or something bad happening to them. And so that shows itself by her fearing to lose control. So she becomes a controlling mother because she loves her kids so much and she's so fearful something's gonna, bad's going to happen to them so she's controlling every single move in their life. So her greatest love is her kids, her greatest fear is something bad happened to them, which shows itself by fearing the loss of control. Or we take the father. The father, whose greatest fear is not being able to provide for his family. And he's looking at all the other fathers and husbands, feeling like they got it all together. And his great fear is that everyone's going to look at him and think of him as a failure, as a husband or a father, not a real man. And so what does he do? Well, he works really hard. He starts loving this idea of being successful so that he can provide for his family. And his greatest fear is he's going to lose it and be found out to be an imposter. Or the person whose greatest fear is being alone. They will constantly be seeking the approval of others to make sure everyone knows how wonderful that person is so that when the right person comes along, they finally will be picked to know that they are worthy. And so they're hoping in something that will turn into love. And it's absolutely controlling their every single move and they're living out of fear. So you can see there's multiple possibilities to this. The point is, what's the solution? The solution is the hardest part. So if your children are your greatest love, what are you supposed to do with them? Drop them off somewhere? Yes. You drop them off right in the arms of God. And then you know what he does? He gives them right back to you. You see what's just happened here? You're saying, God, I'm giving you my kids because I trust you with them more than I trust myself. I heard a story about a pastor who had brain cancer was worried that he was not going to live and no one was going to be there to take care of his family. And then one day he came to the realization, God can care for my family far better than I can. And so you take your kids and you give them to God, and guess what happens? When they've had a bad day, it doesn't destroy you anymore because you know God's taking care of them. You know God's in control, and you know, okay, this is what I must do. This is their road. This is their trial that's before them. What do I do about this? I help them go and find God through the midst of it. I know he can take care of them. So you encourage them to go to God. And let me tell you this. If you are that mother or that father who cannot give your kids to God, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be on the road with them, and you're going to face your greatest fear, which is giving your kids to God. And you're going to say, I can't do it. And you're going to turn back 
down this road, and you know what you're doing? You're not only taking God away from yourself, and you're, you're not only taking your great joy that you were made for away from you, but you're taking your kids away from their greatest joy because you're leading them back down another road. It's terrible, and it's a tragedy. Or the father who's scared that he's not going to be successful. What do you do? You take your success, you take this image of who you think you need to be, and you just give it to God. And you say, God, I'm giving you my life, I'm giving you my future, I'm giving you all my success. I am trusting you to provide all that I need to do now, God, is open up your Bible. Open up your word and see how it tells me to live. And I'm just going to be faithful to that. How do I use everything in my life? How do I use my house, my money, my possessions, my job, everything? God, teach me how to use it, and you just do it, and you trust God. And if you're terrified of being alone, you face your greatest fear, and you say, God, it's just me and you. What if it's just me and you all the way to the end? And when you are alone with God, and he is all you have, it's only then that you really believe he's all you need. Because that's the way to discover him, when he really is all you have. And if you will do that, guess what? Because if you don't do, if you don't do that, here's what happens to your relationships. You have this hope of finding love. Finally, you find it. And you're trying to get joy from that person. Only you're trying to get joy from them that they can never give you because they are not God. And so you end up sucking the joy out of them in order to fill yourself up. You drain them. You get frustrated at them because they're never going to give you the joy you long for. And then you're fighting all the time as opposed to just simply finding God as your joy, giving this desire to be with someone forever to God and let him handle the rest. The only way to a joyful and flourishing life is to face your fears and give whatever you love most to God. And that is your trial. This is our next point. As the mother who gives her kids to God, it's going to feel so painful for you. And it's going to feel like God is ripping the thing you love most from you. But there, once it's ripped, you find the greater love in God. And he then helps you because he is love. Love your children more. Because when you have him, who is love, now dwelling within you, his love is filling up inside of you, and you are pouring love out, and it's a healthy love towards your kid, not a possessive, needy love. You give your job to God. You give your successes to God. Everything you give to him. Everything you love. And when you face this trial of doing this, you have to realize you're not doing it alone. He's helping you along the way. Our verse says, the sun will not strike me by day nor the moon by night. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's poetic. It's describing what life is like on the road. And the sun is dangerous on the road. It will scorch you. And the moon, well, that's when the lunatics come out. Luna, moon, the lunatics. These are the people in the night who come to steal away everything you love so much. Or maybe the possibility is you become a lunatic. There's a thing that parents and teachers would say that happens to children on full moons. They just turn crazy. And this is the idea here. This is not something that's new. This has been passed from century to century on. So what, what, what this means is trials that you face become another test for you. And the test is, where will you reach to for help when you face the trial? Yourself, others, or God? 
There's a saying that God helps those who help themselves. And that's BS. God helps those who ask him for help. The road home forces you to realize on the way to the city of God, the celestial city, this road home forces you to realize you cannot do it without God's help. You know what lunacy is trying to face your fears and your trials without God. See, part of the trial and and the fear is a gift because it's forcing you to find God. Because without them, you'd never reach for him. Some people say it's not the destination, it's the journey. And some people say, that sounds ridiculous. Sounds like the journey might be a good thing to arrive at. There's a book that I saw just recently coming out. It's based a little bit off of Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And the idea of it is that if you give yourself a goal, if you give yourself a vision in life, a mission, then you're going to have meaning in your life because you're going to have something to chase after. And that's partly right. But the reality is if you just give yourself a mission and a vision and a goal that's not worth attaining, then it is meaningless. But Christianity gives you both. It gives you a joy to chase after that you are made for. And it gives you a journey that along the way you are transformed by. In James 1, it says, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. So not only is the destination giving you joy, but the trials are giving you joy because along the way, they're transforming you, and along the way, you're finding God more and more who is the true source of your joy. Through the fire, you come out like gold. But that will only happen Because some of you are facing trials right now and you're facing it the wrong way. You're doing it alone. And it will will crush you. It's too big for you. And if it's not too big for you, God's going to keep on throwing trials at you until they become too big. And then you finally will reach for him because you're stubborn. It's a gift because it's bringing you to him. It says, the Lord is on your right side and he is guarding you as your protector. In a war, this is again, this is poetic imagery. In a war, the person who is your protector who is, is the one who's on your right side because they're holding a shield in their left hand. And when swords are thrown thrust at you, the person on your right is protecting you. And that's what he's doing. It says he's on our right side. Some of you are in the middle of a trial right now and you're like, I don't feel like God is on my right side protecting me. This is a test of faith. Will you go on the road Keep trusting that he's with you, and at the end you will find the joy that you were made for, or will you say, I'm done, I'm turning back? It's revealing what you are and what you really think your joy is found in. The say, again, another ridiculously dumb saying, you've probably said it, I'm sorry if I've made you, offended you, let go and let God. Don't do that. Trust God and keep moving. Now, maybe there's something good to let go of God. Like, I'm, I'm just trying to be in control of my life. I'm letting God be in control. Okay, that's fine. But look, the, the better thing to say is trust God, keep moving. And when it says no evil will get you, that, look, you have experienced evil in your life. It's happened to you. You've done it to others. So when it says no evil will get you, what does it mean? It means that everything bad that has ever happened to you, will somehow one day be undone, reversed, and not exist. Somehow, some way. Again, a test of faith. 
You believe it's true. And then when doubt sets in because it's coming at you on the road and you're ready to turn back, what do you do? Remember him, the God of the mountain. The Psalms, the Psalm, the first line here is about the trouble that you are facing. The rest of the Psalm is about God and how he's protecting you. So that means every time you look at your fear and your trials that are before you, take 10 looks at God. Take 20 looks at God. Take 30 looks at God and keep looking at God until you finally have the courage to face your fears and trials and press forward. And the very first thing it says about him is that he is the Lord. Sounds like Yahweh. I think that's what she said back there. Yahweh is the personal name for God in the Old Testament. Now, what you have in every other religion is a God who is either far off, who cares nothing for you, or a God who is so close to you that he is powerless. Because you're made of the stuff of God, it would, it would say. But in Christianity, you have a God who is both far and near, who is powerful yet close all at the same time. And the first thing it says about this God who is powerful yet close is that he is the creator. And the last thing it says in our psalm is that he is with you always and forever. And he's going nowhere. He's always at your right side. Look. He holds all things in his hands and he holds all things together in this moment right now and he is with you when he looks at the earth it trembles and he is with you at a mere glance he produces earthquakes at the shaking of his fists volcanoes erupt and with the breath of his wing breath of his breath of his voice he calms the raging sea, and he's with you. And the time that I snap my fingers, light has gone around the earth seven times. Do you know how long it takes for the closest star to us, the light to reach us? Four years. When you look up at the sky, the closest star you see, that light is four years old. The north star, that light is 680 years old. The average star, the light you're seeing, is about 2,000 or so years old. There are stars in the sky that if you had a telescope, you could see them, not with the naked eye, but far away. It takes 10 to 15 billion years for that light to get to you. The God who made those stars and named them can flick them out of existence. And you know what he's doing? He's with you. He's infinitely wise, infinitely good, infinitely loving. He is unstoppable and unchangeable, and he is with you. So when you have that God with you, what is there for you to fear? Nothing. So when you look off to the hills and you see your great fear, look beyond the hills to the greater mountain, Mount Zion, the celestial city of God, and there you will see one coming, running down that mountain the great shepherd of heaven, and he is running down to you. He's leaving the throne of heaven to come and be with you, to run down that mountain so he might stand at your right side and guard you. And he's calling you, come. He's standing there already. 
And at your greatest fear and your greatest trial, death, he is with you. And with him, you pass through death because he's already passed through it. So that means every single trial that you face, every single suffering you face, every fear that you face, he's standing there right at it. And you're way back there running and he's saying, come on, I'm ready. I've already got my shield up to protect you. Come get by my side. And there, face it. He's not saying, let go and let me carry you through this with your eyes closed. He's saying, no, be brave. Face your fear. Open your eyes. We're doing this together. So watch him come running to you. Come running down that mountain. Stand at your right side and fight for you. And there, then, you will have the courage to face the fears and trials before you so you might press on to the joy that you are made for. Let's pray. Father, teach us that you are our joy. Help us as we have this love for things that you have made, that we have put in your place. Help us give those loves to you so that you might show us that you are everything we've been chasing. And then, God, you give those loves back to us so that we might love those things even better than we had before. Because now we have you, our great love, and our great joy, and our great peace, and our great comfort, and everything we long for and need is found in you. Help us, God. Help, help, help. Let our prayer throughout the day be help. When we are fearful, let us scream out to you for help. When we face a trial, let us scream out to you for help in desperation because we've got nothing left to do. And if God were not screaming out to help for help, we know that you haven't given us a trial large enough. So you're going to keep bringing them until finally we scream out to you for help. So help us do it now. Help us say help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.